basketball teams across America, it is finals week. Yeah, it's a busy time. It means a light week of games on the court as we kind of head into the holiday period. We get like a nice kind of flurry from like the 18th through the 22nd. It's always plenty of good games. And then a little Christmas break and then into conference play. We are Most teams are kind of 10 games in, so a third of the way there, which is crazy to think about. Brad, I was... I was thinking about this earlier. This is my first, this is the first time when I've been covering basketball that I'm not in finals week while the players are in finals week. And I must say, it's great. It's not great that I have to, uh, don't, don't get a winter break. Winter break would be nice, but uh, no finals, no finals. It's, it's a lovely thing. If I, if I remember from my college days, <laughs> the midterms were worse than the finals because there was no designated period and you had work coming in from other yeah. classes when you had, you know, you have this midterm on Tuesday and then you, the other class makes a normal assignment for Wednesday and their midterms the next week. And it was a whole, whole cluster. Whereas finals I, is kind of chill. I agree with that take. I don't know. I don't think finals were always chill, but there were definitely times when I was like, okay, this is not bad. And at least you could just be like, this is what I'm focused on. So the only thing I have to worry about finals, you know, and college basketball. I was just worried about college basketball. Well, but, Finals week usually was a barren slate, except I remember the, almost every year, or at least every year that I was in college, I, I felt like Iowa State and Iowa played on like the Friday of finals week. <laughs> well, they played this past Thursday as part of TJ Otzelberger's incredible job in uh, Ames. They're now 10-0. We will get to them as we go. We'll get to all these first-year head coaches that have done a nice job. I wrote about that for Sports Illustrated on Monday. Of this past week, or this week, I guess, we're recording on Monday, so I'm talking in the past tense, even though we're recording on the day of it happening. Um, some really great jobs, I kind of think, across America by a lot of these, you know, first-time head coach for first year and first-time head coaches, Otzelberger is certainly one of them. But why don't we start, Brad, with the game that I was at on Saturday, which was, I think, for my money, one of the best five to ten games of the season. Arizona, Illinois. I mean, this atmosphere was ridiculous. The student section was crazy. It was right behind me. Um, the, you know, the energy was incredible. Arizona had to Uber to the game, which was like its own, or to to, to Champaign the previous night because of weather issues on their flight in. And I mean, it was just a crazy scene uh, in, in Champaign. The students were rocking. The fans were, were going crazy. Illinois hit 16 threes, including 12 from Frazier and Plummer. But Arizona wins the day behind 17 second-half points from Kirk Risa, 30 overall in the game for Ben Matherin, and some really outstanding defense from Christian Coloco on Kofi Coburn. So this game was a ton of fun. Definitely the coolest atmosphere I've been in a college basketball game in a long time. I thought the Marquette-Illinois game I went to early in the season in Marquette was awesome. This brought it to kind of a whole nother level. So I I watched the end of Bonnie's and Yukon. I, I got back from the Providence game with about 15 minutes left in that one. I watched that one to basically the end as I was monitoring Arizona, Illinois, right? It was Arizona's way up. Illinois comes storming back. They take this big lead. And I, I, I figured that we're off for the races. And then it was it was a battle down the stretch. I mean, I I've said multiple times in this podcast, it, it feels unfair when your guards are such good free throw shooters. But I mean, Illinois has two guards that are just throwing in everything from 
from three point range with Plummer and Frazier. They're kind of running off screens. They're they're there's automatic. Um, so with their shooting, and then there was a stretch in the second half where Kofi was just having his way with the Arizona defense on like three or four straight possessions. Arizona yeah. then made made the adjustments, started turning them over, and that's when them and Kurt Kurt Kreese really showed out. You know, I I tweeted about. It. I mean. I had Arizona, I think, 33rd or 34th in the preseason because I was looking at the point guard play. You know, we, we had touched on a couple times in the podcast. You were, you were trying to sell me that, you know, if, if Creasy doesn't work out, they really like Pell Larson. Uh, but Creasy has been awesome. I mean, he plays with a, a flair, a confidence. Uh, he can hit shots. He can make plays, throw them behind the back passes. Um, you know, the, the reason why I was so down on him, one, I mean, they were banking on a guy who played eight games last year making a sophomore jump after having a really weird freshman year where he was ineligible and he, I think he was stuck in Europe for a while. And then I think I said this maybe 15 times on the podcast, but he didn't make a two-point shot all last year. I think he made three or four in the, in the second half, key in Arizona's run today. Yeah, it, it was awesome. I mean, and I, I was on an Illinois podcast after the game, and – you know, the, the thing that I kind of came to from this ball game was, you know, I thought Illinois was pretty – like, if you told Illinois pregame that the way that they were going to be beat was Kirk Creesa had to go make plays, you probably live with that, right? Like, this Arizona team is so talented that if 17 second-half points is what it takes for – from Kirk Creesa is what it takes to beat you – you probably live with that, right? Like that was a that was a choice they made. You know, in the first half, they had Frazier on Creesa, and then they sw- switched him over to guard Matherin, and Matherin slowed down. He had like I think 19 in the first half, and then only 11 in the second half. Um, Matherin was really good. I thought showed off more of his playmaking pop than we'd seen in the past from him. A little bit wild, but I mean, he is an incredible athlete, up close and personal, impressive. Um, but, you know, Illinois basically said, you know, Kreese is the guy that we're going to let beat us. And he made some outstanding plays. Give him a lot of credit. Um, I also thought that the development from Christian Coloco was on full display. I know he didn't have his best offensive game. Um, you know, he's he's been much better offensively this year. Like he had the 22 points against Michigan. That was a big story and played well against Wichita State. He was very quiet offensively in this game. But, you know, he slowed Kofi Coburn down in a way that, I don't really remember another team doing with the exception of that one flurry, like you said. And I, if I recall, that was partially at least, if not fully when Umar Bala was in the game, um, they won that battle every time Kofi versus Bala and Arizona for the most part, won the Coloco versus Kofi battle. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. I think Illinois will be better once they get Curbella back. Obviously that late game, five second closely guarded call was something. And also I got a, I got a lot of TV time, Brad, you were, uh, and I hope you saw my, uh, my beautiful mug on a on Fox there a few times. No, I was I was watching the game. I wasn't watching for for, for fans. And honestly, I completely forgot that you were even there. So <laughs> I was you know <laughs> I was, was zoomed in. I was zoomed in. I think I was gonna text you. I, I realized that at at a one point I was gonna text you about the Minnesota game or something. And I and I was like, oh oh yeah, he, he he's on the road. That's why. Um, that's why I shouldn't do that. But no, um, I'm I'm still buying Illinois. I mean, people are selling yeah. their Illinois stock. 
I'll certainly buy it. As as to if they're going to be better with Curbelo, I, I don't know. I, I really like this three-point marksman backcourt they got going on with Frazier and Plummer. My um, concern with Plummer Hawkins, is... Hawkins didn't play well, but... Go on. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. Um, my concern with Plummer is he's soft with the basketball and he's a bad defender. Like, I think he's really valuable and he's a really big-time scorer, but I want 25-plus minutes of Andre Curbelo in that backcourt to create off the bounce and to be in the ball screen and get into the lane, right? Like, Plummer doesn't really get into the lane. Frazier can, but, I mean, those guys took six shots from two all game, right? And and, and Grandison, for the most part, is just a shooter, too. I mean, they were so reliant on the three ball outside of Kofi. And I, I just feel like they need someone who who can get in the lane and make shit happen. I also think Curbelo helps them because, like, the depth – like, it, it brings the depth down. They're really not getting much from their freshmen, which is not surprising, right? Like, Melendez and Goody were both, I think, in the 150s as recruits. So it's not surprising that they would be, you know, not super ready to contribute at a high-level game like that one against Arizona. But if you could bring Palmer off the bench as your sixth man, that means, you know, you're wiping out those, you know, 10 minutes that Goody and Melendez played with a much better score, much better playmaker. So they definitely need more from Coleman Hawkins. But I think once Bellows back, I mean, I think this is a top 20 Illinois team. I really do. I, I did not come away from this in any way being like, yeah, like I'm I, I was more impressed with Illinois when I left when, than when I arrived, I think would be my my take from that game, because. Very few teams have the recipe that Arizona can put on, and uh, Illinois still nearly beat them. Yeah, I I think I would rank Illinois in the top 25 as well. I I, I was just about to ask you your you know whether you would include them or not. And you know down down in in Providence fan territory, there's a lot of uh, hand wring, a lot of upset feelings about this week's top 25. But you, you know, there, there there aren't a ton of teams that are currently ranked that I would that I just like scoff at, like oh my god, there's no way that these teams are better than Providence or, or better than Illinois or better than Wisconsin. Uh, you know, some of these teams that weren't ranked this week. You know, personally, I w- I would rank that that trio right, Illinois, Providence, Wisconsin. I I would rank those three over Texas Tech and Arkansas certainly, and, and probably Tennessee too. Um, but I think Illinois will certainly find their way back into the polls. I would not worry about that at all if I were an Illini fan. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, and I, I will say the other thing that should be mentioned is Illinois had injuries, they've had suspensions, they've had illnesses. Like they just haven't been able to practice the full team. They're going to get better with more practice time. Like I, I, I'm a full believer in that. I think this will be this team will be really good again. Just kind of a matter of time. And on Arizona, I mean, Tommy Lloyd is the real deal. They're doing a great job with kind of managing all these Sean Miller talents with a Gonzaga-like system on both ends of the floor. Uh, I think this is a top five team. I think this is a one seed. I think this is a Pac-12 champion. Not enough superlatives for the performance that they put on. I mean, they're, they have everything you could want. If Creesa plays the way he did, they have everything they could possibly want or need. And, and this whole starting lineup was all Sean Miller. Which is crazy in this era, right? Yeah. A coaching change and all five starters are 
our Sean Miller guys. And, and the, the lineup really fits well together. Yes. As well. You, 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 you kind of think, like, the only thing you're missing is maybe, like, like Terry plus Creesa neither being, like, on paper being, like, big, like, really, like, shot creators. But Creesa, Creesa makes shit happen. He really does. Maybe a little short on shooting since Tabellus and Coloco aren't spacers. I think they they pretty much exclusively play a uh, you know exclusively play a two big look. Played I think 36 minutes yesterday in that game or 34 minutes excuse me where they had uh, you know two non shooters on the floor. But Tabellus is on a perimeter game where it doesn't kind of wreck the flow. Yeah, he can shoot a little bit. I don't know what his numbers are, but you know from I mean from watching he's three, bunch, he's he's three for thirteen from three in nine games. So pretty much letting him shoot it. He can he can at least hit a shot though. Yeah, and he's and he's also I mean he's so good. He's he can handle the ball, he's you know, really, really solid defensively. He can pass, he can rebound, he gets to the stripe, like he is outstanding. So then I I was looking, you know, I, I was clearing my schedule for the seed and all of Texas game. I was so ready for it. Had, had to run some errands, so I DVR'd the game, watched the whole game. But I was, I was very behind, right? And without that 15-minute delay, I wouldn't have caught up. So I was the only person out there that wasn't, you know, banging their head against the wall about, I guess, a 15-minute delay in the seed and all of Texas game. But you know, I was I was looking forward to that. I'm very proud of my Pirates pulling out the win. My uh, uh, adopted Pirates. I think I was the only person who had them top 25 in the preseason. You're just becoming such a Big East guy. It's painful. No, just obviously Providence, and I really like the Seton Hall team. In I, kind I, of- I don't think I have like super um, kind of polarizing feelings about any of the other teams, but. I mean, you're you're pretty in early on UConn. Yeah, that's fair. Everyone yeah, Seton Hall up. especially is yours. Uh, but so the Seton Hall game ends, and I'm sitting there flipping between St. John's, Monmouth, and Iowa, Iowa State. I completely forgot that Purdue Rutgers was playing. That's how off off, off my radar that game was. Uh, but I was able to catch the last like 45 seconds of that game. But did you happen to catch more of? What turned out to be maybe the game of the week? Yeah, I watched probably the final four or five minutes. I mean, what an excellent kind of college basketball experience, college basketball atmosphere again. I mean, I can't say enough about what kind of fans been the table. I think some of the same problems that we saw for Purdue against Iowa at home came out late in that one. Look, Purdue is never going to shoot the ball as well as they had had to start the year, right? Like that wasn't going to continue. Eventually, Stefanovic and Thompson were going to stop shooting like 50% from three. Brandon Newman, same deal. Like they were going to regress. And when that happened, what was going to happen to Purdue's offense? And I think the answer we saw was they're still really good. They're still really hard to stop. Edie is, you know, really a, an imposing presence, and Williams is incredible and is. You know, proven a little bit of the the Edie versus Williams doubt wrong. I think Williams is the better player now after watching more games. I've come back along on that side. Um, but essentially, Purdue not shooting the ball ridiculously well from three opens the door. And then all of a sudden you get these, you know, 
big shots from Harper, big big plays from Mag, big plays from Kayla McConnell. Just like you had not seen from them all year. And like you're just I'm sitting there and I'm like, who is this and what happened to Kayla McConnell? Like I couldn't believe how well he was playing offensively. They just fought, they fought, they hung in the game. And I think the other thing that I had said kind of coming in, and I think I'm very proven, you know, I feel very confident in this take after watching that game was Purdue doesn't have a guy to go up and grab the ball and make a play late in the game. Like Jaden Ivey, as explosive as he is, I don't trust him yet. I don't trust him in late game situations, handling pressure. And he turned the ball over in that really key spot. I think it was a travel. He just kind of got trapped in the corner and tried to force way out of it. Yeah. When when they're in tough spots, it's on Travion. And Travion had the offensive foul. I I, I don't blame him for that play, but you know, I was he's trying to make room for himself. I thought Ivy just I don't trust him yet in those late game situations. Until I do, I think it holds Purdue back from being next level. Again, obviously it's hard to win on the road. They nearly did anyway. If not for a crazy shot, they would have, but you just what a great basketball game, and I think exposed why Purdue is not, you know, is not a far and away number one type team. No, I think it, you know, we'll touch on this game later, but if anyone is far and away number one right now, I think it's got to be Baylor. But um, back back to the Purdue Rutgers. I mean, the, the thing with Purdue, and, and this is how Matt Painter likes to build out his teams. We saw it with the Carson Edwards team, which was really good, but it's, it's so synchronized, right? It's so built around, you know, every piece fits together really well, which is nice and works a lot. But when the star's not doing well or the complimentary guys aren't shooting, right, there there, there aren't enough guys who do everything. Um, and when when you have a star like Jaden Ivey and a star like Trivion Williams, that formula is still good enough for you to be a top, whatever, 20, 16, top 10, whatever you think their floor is, team in the country. But they're going to get caught up on days where a guy like Isaiah Thompson isn't shooting it well and he can't do much else. Or Stefanovic is, you know, he Stefanovic is able to get to the rim after hitting a couple threes and kind of freed himself up. But he's mostly a shooter. And they're, 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 they're playing a lot of one-dimensional guys, a lot of role players. Um, and, and we saw that with the Carson, Carson Edwards team, where when things are going well, things look incredible. And the next year you take Carson Edwards out and the whole team kind of falters. Yeah. And I, I will say, I, I was talking to a Big Ten coach um, about Purdue this weekend. And he said, look, everybody kind of knows around the league that the way you beat Illinois or you beat Purdue is you stop Sasha Stavanovich. And Stavanovich had been awesome, you know, against North Carolina, against Villanova. Like, he made big shots, big shots, big shots. And, you know, you come around to Rutgers, he's really quiet. He was really quiet against NC State. I don't know if you watched that game, Brad. I only watched, like, the Purdue comeback, so I don't have a good feel for the early stages. But as I understand it, you know, he was really quiet early on. And then, you know, in the final 10 minutes, or final five minutes in overtime, he really exploded. So, you know. Stefanovic is so critical for what they do offensively because he provides them that like half court guard who's really smart and it's in the right spots and spaces the floor and makes you pay when you double off people and never makes a bad decision. Like they missed that. I think when he wasn't playing so well earlier in the game and, and against Rutgers. So 
again, I think it's a really good team. I think it's the Big Ten favorite. I think it's a potential one seed. I just don't know that they're, you know, I think they're just in the conversation. And I think, like you said, Brad, if there's a team that feels like a clear number one, it would have to be Baylor over anyone else. So just before we hopped on to, to Baylor, Villanova, I did want to talk talk about that Texas seed hall game. Yes. Which was a defensive war. And, you know, Obiago goes out early. Trey Mitchell was playing really well. But you just got to lo- love the kind of role player contributions here. Guys like Yetna and Samuel really stepped in. Bryce Aiken, they're talking about. <laughs> they're talking about what a smart player he is. I literally was about to text you. If Bryce Aiken is so smart, why is he front-rimming four 30-footers in this game? He's smart uh, but, because he went to Harvard, Brad. It doesn't matter but, that he does dumb things. But as as you always say in basketball, eighth time's a charm. Uh, on, on the eighth bad three, it went in, and that and that's what iced the game for Seton Hall. I think I say I, you know, the 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 better that Providence does, and the better that the Big East does, the more I want to seek out college basketball content. So the past week, I've been listening to everything you could think of under the sun, uh, and I say. I got to give you a lot of credit for sticking up for my Seton Hall Pirates on Field of 68. I was listening to that. I, I was I was nodding in agreement while driving. Kind of kind of lost focus of the road there. I was getting honked at because I was so into your 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 praise of the Pirates. Shout out shout out to Goodman and Doster in Field of 68. Check out I'm on the After Dark show once a week. Uh, it's always fun. I was on with. Terrence Oglesby and Goodman last week, and we had Johnny Davis on. It was great. Yeah, I think there's just like so much to so much to say about this team, right? Roden has been unbelievable. Again, I mean, he's kind of a one point per shot guy. I mean, he's not overly efficient because he doesn't shoot it great. But tough twos. He he shoots tough twos, but they go in. <laughs> but he makes shots. He's really tough. Uh, he can get downhill. He's really kind of improved his body year over year, and. uh I just, I just love the kid, man. I mean, he, he has been awesome. He makes his free throws. That's a huge thing for him, right? If you, if you look back his first couple of years, he wasn't a great free throw shooter. Now he's at 88%. I mean, that's, that's game changing. I thought Texas looked fine. I mean, I think they need more from their guards, right? I think they need to, I think the offense is too complex right now. Like they're still running a lot of like beard motion stuff that you saw at Texas Tech. Like they need to take the shackles off and just play pick and roll. Um, Seton Hall's size was a huge issue. Miles Kale was just like murdering Marcus Carr. Yes. And you're not going to find a lot of teams that can go Richmond and Kale and Roden as your one, two, three against a Texas team, which has a lot of firepower, a lot of guard skill, but smaller guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think the thing with Seton Hall, and I watched the Rutgers game and the Texas game, the thing that's impressive to me is like it doesn't. It's it, Roden's been a constant, but everyone else, it just kind of rotates, right? Like Aiken was huge against Michigan, was really important against Rutgers, didn't play great against Texas. That's okay, right? Like, could, you know, Kadari Richmond didn't play very well against Texas, but was really good, especially in the first half against Rutgers. You know, you just kind of go through and like it's somebody else's night every night. I do think that they, they need Obiagu back because, you know, Tyree Samuel as your five man, it's just, he's a little lean. 
you know, and Trey Jackson, kind of the same deal. Like neither of those guys are necessarily like big physical guys. And I thought against, you know, even against Rutgers, who doesn't, you know, Omori is, is big and imposing, but he's not an elite, you know, pl- you know, player in the post. He's not a, he's not a post scorer necessarily. I thought they really missed Obiagu's presence. So they got to get him back. But I mean, I think this is a top 15 team in the country and, and certainly the resume speaks for itself the road win at michigan the dominance over yale you know i mean all the way down to the, obviously texas and rutgers i mean they've taken they've pretty much taken on every challenge and uh you know certainly you know as long as they beat iona on saturday they will head into biggie's play feeling very very good about themselves and you know the, the guy that everyone was talking about in the preseason was jameer harris and he's ninth right now in terms of impact so far he he's yet to get going uh if if he can get going it just gives him another offensive piece in there as well uh should should we move over to sunday's well wasn't wasn't really a basketball game it was really a uh complete domination from baylor yeah i mean they made villanova look like a mid-major <laughs> they were completely overwhelmed by baylor's size and athletes I mean, Jeremy so- Sohan, I guess is how, how you pronounce it. Yes, Sohan. You know, we, we would always we would always joke that you know everyone just said the same thing about how he's oh, he's from overseas and, and and we really like him. Uh, we'll give you some specifics today. The dude's got blue hair. He's enormous. He's moving like a guard, just blowing up everything on defense. When him and Kendall Brown were in there at the same time, it would uh, Chamba Chachua at the five. Uh, Villanova couldn't even get the ball into the into the three point line without dribbling off their foot. Yeah, I mean that Brown, Sohan, Chamochachua three four five looked like an NBA team physically. I mean it was very impressive. You know when James Akinjo plays like James Akinjo played, Baylor's the best team in the country. I don't even know if there's a debate there, right? Baylor shot six for 24 from three and just dominated a team that I think most people still believe is a top 10 team. Yeah, the issues with, with, with Villanova is, you know, they, they like to do their kind of patient back downs, uh, but they, they couldn't even get into any offense. You know, Baylor was blowing up everything. And then uh, Eric Dixon's uh, care just turned back into a pumpkin. Uh, he was brutal. He was sped up. He was bothered by the length. The the bench, you know, Daniels hit a couple shots. Uh, Cos- Cosby Roundtree looked way out of place. Archie Diakono obviously looked out of place as well. And then I mean, Gillespie looked out of place at times. Absolutely. Brandon Slater looked out. Of, I mean, Brandon Slater. You figure he he's the most athletic guy on the team. He 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 should be able to hang and make some plays, but. Nothing doing for anyone uh, on uh, Villanova. Even uh, Justin Moore, who I think had a decent statistical game. Um, yeah, he he was the most kind of able to because he had a little bit more game off the bounce. But it was a lot of just dribbling around and turnover. And he only turned it over 13 times. It felt like more. 0.6 points per possession for Villanova. And, you know, I... I don't know if they're a top ten team anymore, 
Because they're they're going to face some pretty good defenses between Seton Hall and UConn. Xavier's playing really well. Not sure in the grand scheme of things how good Creighton's defense is going to be, but they're playing really hard. Providence is playing hard. Um, this this game kind of made me uh, rethink having Villanova head and shoulders above you know UConn, Seton Hall, and Xavier certainly. But yeah, I mean I think Villanova is still the best team, but I think it's close. I will say. You know, I was surprised by how that game went because think about, like, who would you envision if I asked you, like, most athletic teams other than Baylor in the country? Most athletic teams. Um, would have said Texas Tech, maybe. Texas Tech, sure. We would have said... Um, not, not UCLA. Um, think about, well, so, so I'm going to throw one. Maybe Duke's pretty athletic. Duke certainly. The one I'm thinking of is I would put Tennessee right up there. Right. They're a little small for me, but. Yeah, that's true that they don't have like the, the positional size, but that team has Kennedy Chandler, elite quickness, Zakai Ziegler, elite quickness. Kamua, big-time athlete. Josiah Jordan-James, big-time athlete. Uh, Hundley Hatfield, big-time athlete. You know, I mean, they're, they're a very athletic team. Villanova sliced and diced them for 40 minutes, right? Villanova was basically like, we're good defensively. You guys can't score on us, and we're just going to, you know, run our, run our stuff and, and kill you guys. Baylor was like on another plane. And that was, I think, the thing that was so striking. I mean, I wouldn't argue either way if you said they're not a top 10 team. Obviously, again, they're going to the, going to the conference play. They only have, Villanova's only the one more non league game. They play Temple right before Christmas, or right after Christmas, excuse me. And then it's into conference play. I mean, yeah, I don't think the gap is huge. I think a team like UConn, a team like Seton Hall would cause Villanova problems. But I also think, again, you know, I don't think Seton Hall, even when they play Obiagu and they play Tyree Samuel, looks anything like Baylor on tape. No. Baylor is just gigantic. You go towers over them. The other thing with Baylor is you know, they're so well-schooled in their principles and they fly around on defense. And it's disruptive in a way that I don't think of. I don't think of the Seton Hall defense as nearly as disruptive. I think UConn's is similarly physical, but even it's not as disruptive. Seton Hall's is very disruptive on the perimeter, but not in the front court like Baylor's is. Correct. Like, like Miles Kale is very disruptive. He's getting deflections. He's getting runouts. Richmond can do that as well. Roden a little bit. Uh, but not. But you know, Yetna's not very disruptive. Obiagu is dis- disruptive at, at the rim, but not in the passing lanes. Jackson's very athletic, but he's not super disruptive either. Agreed. Um, where to next? Okay. Now I, I mean, every, everyone listening here knows I'm I'm not a UConn fan, and, I, and I'm still pissed about that loss for UConn. I mean, how, how can you not think that UConn absolutely blew that game against West Virginia? I I can't wrap my head around it. Every team. Either team who lost that game was going to feel like they blew it, would be my take. 
Because, I mean, you have West Virginia misses all the free throws. West Virginia's not even that good to begin with. I'm not even sure that – I mean, now now they're going to be a tournament team because they have the UConn win, um, which should be quadrant one, and they'll get enough – you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of opportunities to do something stupid in the Big 12. Um, so even if they lose to UAB, who, who, who's a good team as well, uh, but that's on, on the road. So that's probably quadrant one as well. And I, th- I think West Virginia is going to be in – in the, in the tournament, but but they're not very good. I mean, I think there's probably five or six Big East teams that are better than they are. I think there's probably five Big Big 12 teams, maybe six Big 12 teams that are better than they are. And, and you, you don't have Martin and Sunogo. You literally have the game. And there, there, there are some turnovers where I think, okay, yeah, they got sped up. There was a Jordan Hawkins one where he fell over. You know, Gaffney had a couple like that as well. Hawkins was off the whole game. He didn't hit a shot. Okay, I'll I'll give you that for being sped up. But you had there was one play where Andre Jackson tried to do a baseball pass from half court to the corner and just threw it into the stands. I think there were two or three times where UConn tried to throw that full court lead pass, threw it straight out of bounds. And then the one that 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 gets called every time is when the guy who's not known to be a defender. Tries to pick up his guy full court, and it's the bonus. They every time they always foul. <laughs> I was at the the province this is province Vermont I think, and uh, Bryson Goodine did that. Like the minute he goes to, to to pick up his guy full court, as he's walking toward him past half court, I'm like, this is going to be a foul. And 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 Jordan Hawkins did that, and, and gave West Virginia some some free points. So I mean, there there was a comedy of errors down. down down the stretch for UConn. And again, it's not a horrible loss. Like, it, it'll be quad one. It's a horrible loss the way you lost, the missed opportunity. You know, if a UConn wins that game, they're probably in the top ten right now. And instead, right. they're, they're, they're being left off of some people's ballots. They're in, in, in the 20s overall. Uh, and, you know, that could have been huge for the Big East brand and for UConn's brand. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the way it needs to be framed is it's a missed opportunity more than it's a – you know, it's a bad loss, right? It's a road game. It's top 25. It's, it's an NCAA tournament caliber team. You're without your two best players. You know, it's a, there's there's every reason why they could lose that game on paper, but way the game played, it feels like a significant missed opportunity for UConn. And again, I'm a believer in this group. You know, I think, you know, particularly the way that they played, despite being shorthanded up front. You know, without Sonogo, it really changed the way their offense operates because you're just not going to play through Whaley in the post the way that they play through Sonogo. No. Not that type of player. And they don't have a guy off the bench. You know, it's, you know certainly not like a Coco Cook is not doing that. Certainly not Samson Johnson. You know, it's there is no there is no replacement there. So that means more pressure on these guards. And quite frankly, you know, other than R.J. Cole, I haven't been overly impressed with the UConn guards, right? I think Hawkins is special talent-wise, but, yeah, you know, he's not yeah, – Jordan Hawkins is not ready to be like a double-digit B scorer yet. In he, he's like he's like Book Knight or like A.J. Reeves' freshman year. Right. Where it's like, oh, yeah, he's, he's going to put it together real soon and be an NBA player. And for one guy, he absolutely did, and the other guy did not. Uh, but you know, Hawkins hit some absolute daggers during during the Bonnies game on on Saturday. But 0 for against West Virginia, and then, and then 
Tyler Polly was a fifth-year senior. I mean, he was taking them crazy three-pointers as well. Uh, kind of to, to, to your point is when you don't have Sonogo to to throw it into, you can't really post up Whaley and a Cook. That's not their game. Uh, you got more more pick and roll and kind of leaning on these two ball handlers, Colin Gaffney, and more three pointers. And the three pointers were certainly not going in. And you know, I I I kind of love Andre Jackson's game. It's like flashy. It's weird. He's making cool passes. He rebounds. He's super athletic. He's killing it defensively. And then he does stuff like firing baseball passes out of bounds and stuff. He's clearly improved from last year. Like, he's stronger. He's a little more confident in, like, his skill level. But, like, it's just frustrating watching him play because he makes so many odd decisions. And most of them aren't, like, shot decisions, right? Like, he is the rare guy, especially a rare, like, top 50 recruit who you never are like, man, what is Andre doing shooting that, right? Like, he, he, he he's very passive shooting the ball. He just tries to do too much oftentimes, you know, in terms of his playmaking. Someone uh, – his second Ken Palm comp is, is Terrence Mann, who is kind of – not a shooter his first couple of years and developed into one now become a very good one in the NBA or like a useful one in the NBA. I kind of love that comparison for Andre Jackson. I think he's going to get there. He's, he's just being forced to have to do too much right now. I think he's a better athlete than man too. He is. He is, I think a top 10 athlete in college basketball. I mean, he's explosive and man is a very good athlete, but yes. I mean, Jackson's huge. He's huge. He's flying around. I I always love the 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 Ken Palm comparisons because it does like sometimes you get some like weird statistical ones like Terrence Mann's third Ken Palm comparison is Andrew Shravish from Butler. Uh, no, but his first one is Wesley Awundu, which yeah, about yeah. right. Absolutely. So anyway, yeah, I I think UConn's good. Uh, you know the Bonnie's game I felt like. St. Bonner's really had a chance to win it and then just didn't, you know, in that like middle stage of the second half, just kind of let them let it slip. It's so challenging without Kyle Lofton. I think he's so, he's been so valuable in their like comeback games because he keeps them all together and you just can't replicate that with a freshman and Quadri Adams. No, I still think the Bonnies kind of feels like they need to be Virginia Tech to feel comfortable going into conference play. But I think Virginia Tech looks very beatable. I mean, I tweeted about this. In the five games Virginia Tech has played where they have – where they've been less athletic than their opponent. That's Memphis, Xavier, Maryland, Wake Forest, and Dayton. So they're 1-4 in those games, and they've scored 61, 58, 62, 61, and 57 points. They look overwhelmed. And, you know, I think a lot of that starts with Storm Murphy. But it, the issues go beyond him. You know, they're just – athletically don't look the part of a ACC team. And then talent-wise, it's not there either. I mean, they have one very good player in Kevin Aluma. Maybe even a great player. Uh, but then after that, like, Mutz is a cool glue guy in, in the front court. Aline is hot and cold. You know, last year against Villanova, he, he looked incredible. And there are games where he's going to go, like, one for ten. Um, and then Murphy and 
Hunter Couture or whatever, the bench is just nothing. I mean, makes a Villanova's bench look like, uh, I, don't, I don't even know, competent. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, here, here's the thing, though. Gun to your head, who's the third best team in the ACC? So you're assuming Carolina, too? Yeah. Unless you have a different, uh, different no, I, I think it's probably still Carolina. I think I would probably say Louisville and NC State three and four, and then Wake Forest five. See, I was doing a, a rough, rough outline in conference standings today, and I think, I think I would go Virginia Tech number three. Wow. The, right, their their upside is so limited, but I think I trust them more than a. I mean, they got housed at home by Wake Forest. Are are we completely buying this uh, Wake Forest? I no, we're not. That that that's why it's so bad that they lost by twenty to Wake Forest at home. I, I mean the the whole ACC has. Has has stuff like that except for Wake Forest, UNC, and Duke. I mean, Louisville has not looked looked the part at all. Notre Dame got destroyed by Boston College, who uh, is losing to Albany right now, and that was my eliminator pick this week. Not over yet, though. Albany uh, Albany's been fading here. I've got it up. Um, the thing with Louisville, I mean, Louisville, you you were kind of confident, or at least sort of confident that they were starting to figure it out after the Furman loss because they beat Mississippi State and Maryland. But I don't know that Mississippi State or Maryland are any good. Right. And I I think any ACC prediction for three through 13 right now, you you really got to just go with who, who you think can turn it around. I don't think that you can rank based on performance at this point because one it's been so poor but it's it's also so even amongst so many of these teams you know like do you do you have any confidence whether Clemson's going to finish 13th or 6th i mean i i don't but i i haven't even like tried to think about it i think i think virginia's going to turn around a little bit to the point where their conference record is going to look pretty good i i think virginia tech's going to have a pretty conference record I think Wake Forest could stick around, make make the tournament. You know, we like Alondas Williams and Jake Laravia, um, and then Louisville I think has, has the talent to be up there. But even like the 13th place Clemson, you know that that team could make the NIT. You could put like eight ACC teams, nine ACC teams in the NIT this year, and I wouldn't. Uh, right, none of them are like truly awful. Night. None of them are truly yeah. awful. Except for Pitt and Boston College, but yes, and BC. I mean, they're about to blow this goodwill, but they had done a nice job of not losing the bye games. Certainly so not did a I, postseason team. Did you watch any of Virginia James Madison? I did. I did. Any any notable uh, observations? I was at Providence, Vermont. So I, I mean, I, thought, I mean, the atmosphere was awesome. That was a lot of fun. Um, Kihei Clark actually played pretty well. 
they, they really didn't have an answer for Gardner, did James Madison, but like Virginia just can't shoot. They kept checking new guys in, and none of them could shoot. Tane Murray was 0-4. McCorkle was 0-2. Statman was 0-1. They let Igor Milicic come in. I mean, there was a stretch in the, in the late – in the first half where Virginia didn't score for 12 minutes and missed, like, 12 straight threes. I mean, it was preposterous. I think the biggest – the biggest disappointment with them is that neither Reese Beekman – nor Armand Franklin have really proven to be above average starters yet. And I'm, I'm a believer in Beekman long-term. I thought Franklin was very good at Indiana. Neither of those guys looks very comfortable right now. And I think for Virginia to have a fighting chance at being a postseason team, you know, being, being in the mix for the NCAA tournament bid, certainly being an NIT team, you know, they need, you know, they just need more from those two guys. Because right now, their best guard is Kihei Clark. And you're not winning when your best guard is Kihei Clark, especially when your front court is Jaden Gardner and Caden Shedrick, which, I mean, again, I don't think those guys are bad. But they're not good enough where you can go to the postseason kind of dropping it down to them every possession. So I thought James Madison was good. I think they're a good team, very well coached. but. You know, I don't think they were special. I think it's tough atmosphere, and Virginia couldn't quite couldn't quite pull off the second half comeback. I mean, that's that's why we made the the, the prop that in, in the preseason for who's who's going to be the leading scorer off the bench for Virginia, because there was nothing there, and Beekman's not doing much. I mean, everyone was loving Jaden Gardner, and you know he's he, he's played great when I've seen him, uh, but he was the best player on a very bad East Carolina team. So a lot of the arguments being, you know, he's their best player in, in the preseason. Well, that's not necessarily a, a great endorsement. And another really weird game from, from Tuesday. How, how about Butler finally getting some production, some competence, some, a, a notable win, some movement, I I was pretty stunned. Uh, you know, Oklahoma beats Arkansas this this weekend, and you know their defense is very good on paper. A lot of these guys like Harkless and uh, Goldwire aren't aren't much of scores, but Harkless had a big game. Hit hit the game tying three to seven overtime. Uh, I thought Chuck Harris played great. You know, this was a skeleton Butler crew. You didn't have Tate, you didn't have Enzi, and you didn't have Hodges again. Uh, but but Golden looked okay, and, and they got great mileage from their freshman. DJ Hughes as, like, an undersized uh, rebound and four-man. And Simonis uh, Lukosius hit some clutch free throws down the stretch, hit a big jumper. Uh, and they actually closed the game, you know, with those two freshmen in there instead of going to the vets like Bolden and, and Gross. Yeah, I mean, it was – this was very weird. I mean – I think Butler – I think we both agreed that Butler would get better as the season went on. You know, yeah. they wouldn't – you know, they wouldn't look this bad all year. I don't think I expected them to win at Oklahoma. But Oklahoma's last three games are, like, truly an incredible illustration of why it's incredibly hard to evaluate teams based on 
you know, individual games in the contact, given like the contact or the context right. me, of, of like what we're going. So the last two games have been Florida, Butler, and Arkansas. So they came in and Florida was playing, you know, really good ball. They had won the tournament in on the neutral court in Fort Myers. They had blown out Florida State. You know, their defense is looking impressive. You're like, oh, yeah, maybe Florida's like a top 15 team. Maybe they could compete for the SEC title. They come out and they, they get beat by Oklahoma. You say, okay, well, it's, it's a great win. It's a road game. Oklahoma's good. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're better than we expect. Maybe they're top, 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 top 25 team, Oklahoma, maybe. Okay, well, then Florida turns around from that and loses to Texas Southern at home. And then loses to Maryland this past weekend on neutral. Okay, so Florida's not that good. So we don't really know what that means. That, that one means for Oklahoma. But Oklahoma's playing Butler. They better win that game. Butler's not very good. Oop, well, they lose to Butler. Okay, so so is Oklahoma good? Are they not? Now they're playing Arkansas. Arkansas hasn't played anyone. Let's see what happens here. Oklahoma, in the late stage of that game, blows out Arkansas. Okay, so does Arkansas suck? Does Oklahoma suck? Is Butler good? Is Butler bad? Is Florida stink? Is Florida good? None of us have any idea. At least based and on. And that's why. You, that, that's why. Whenever anyone says the phrase, "I I rank teams on who's the best team now," or in March when you say, "Okay, see, so you know, I got the win over number four Michigan," and Michigan's like a bubble team. Like you can't you can't say I'm ranking teams on who's the best team now because we. We have no idea who the best team is now, right? Because anyone with that philosophy would have ranked Florida super high, but we find out Florida State's probably worse than we thought. You know, then then Florida loses to Texas Southern. You, you know, there's there's no way of doing this without trying to contextualize everything of where you think the teams are going to end up, especially this early in the season, because you know a lot of people had Arkansas super high. Their first true test of the year, they get their 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 doors blown off by like a bubble Oklahoma team. Yeah, I mean it's it's just really hard. Um, again, kudos to Butler. Uh, I still don't think they're an I don't even think they're an NIT team, but I think they're better than what they've been. Um, we'll see if they can put up a fight against Purdue. I don't think they can. I think their bigs are going to overwhelm them that game. Uh, but you know, I'm excited to. Kind of check in on Butler for that day. I really want to go to a game at Hinkle. So them not maybe completely sucking is good for those those hopes. So happy about that. Okay, was there any any big town game that we forgot to mention? Oh well, how about Kentucky Notre Dame? I, I was I, just about to say we got to talk about Kentucky. I didn't I didn't watch any of this game. I didn't either. I did actually. I I watched some on replay. I went on a, I went on Synergy and uh, watched. I I have a, I'm a Synergy guy now officially. By the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy. Love that. Crazy, big 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 Jack here. Um, but no, I I was just like really underwhelmed by Kentucky offensively. I think it's a lot of the same issues that we talked about potentially being a problem. And I thought Notre Dame did a good job, like with their game plan. You know, they came into this thing and said, you know, like the the way we win this game is if we let don't let Kentucky beat us on the offensive boards, we force a Veer Wheeler to beat us in the half court, and we make them make the we make 
Kentucky make threes. And Kentucky had five offensive rebounds for the game. They had went two for nine, two for nineteen from three, and Sevier Willard didn't make a field goal. I just think like, first off, you know, Cal does not trust his bench right now, right? I mean, it's amazing how all of these teams. We said you know, we didn't we didn't mention it with Texas, but it's the same deal. Texas were like, okay, this is so deep. How are they going to play all these guys? And six guys played more than eight minutes. You know, it's unbelievable. Uh, same thing with Kentucky. You're looking at going, they're nine deep, they're ten deep. Oop, well, six guys played more than eight minutes. I just think I don't think you're gonna go very far with Seville Severe Wheeler and Davion Mintz playing as much and as important roles in the offense as they are. And look, good Goodman said it like this is really the first time that Cal's been asked to try to win without having clearly like better talent than everyone he plays. And we're not seeing a ton in the form of adjustments and lineups and things that are needed to get to where they need to go. I mean, again, credit to Notre Dame. It was an emotional game. It's a home court. Uh, Blake Wesley, the freshman, is really fun to watch. But, like, man, Notre Dame was bad against Illinois. They were awful at Boston College. They were unimpressive at Maui. I mean, this is a team that came in three and four to that game. And their three wins were Cal State, Northridge, High Point, and Chaminade. That team just beat Kentucky. And that team with the 110th ranked defense in Ken Palm held Kentucky to 62 points. That's very scary. That's very, very scary. And, you know, I think Cal got a little too cute in the transfer portal. Definitely last year, you know, you know, taking a Davion Mins, right? The, the whole point of that was to get a role player, kind of NBA free agency style. Like, okay, we're going to have the ball on Terrence Clark and Brandon Boston's hands. Let's get a, a point guard who doesn't need the ball, who can hit shots and defend. Uh, but I, I think in college basketball, the, the, the role players have value when they're in your system for multiple years. And like this is a senior who's this is fourth year in the program and he barely played as a freshman now as a senior he's finally you know being that fifth starter glue guy it doesn't seem like you could just plug in a role guy from another team to be a role guy at Kentucky uh, we'll never know with C.J. Frederick this year and like Wheeler and, and, and Grady on paper at least had had ta- had the talent level to be more than just a role guy. Uh, and then Chevrolet's been awesome, but the field of 68 guys were really ragging on Davion Mins. I think it was a Calipari getting a little too cute and think he could kind of NBA free agency to get like this perfect George Hill piece in there, and it hasn't hasn't really worked. Even though he was their leading scorer last year, which that's 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 going to be a trivia question for the ages. <laughs> Who is Kentucky's leading scorer in 2020-21? In the whole Calipari era, who is the goofiest leading scorer? Well, especially if Brandon Boston, he's been, like, playing better in the NBA. Yeah. Wouldn't it be really funny if Brandon Boston became, like, an NBA starter? And the leading scorer on that team was Avion Mintz, who's, like, off being, like, a like an accountant somewhere. A security guard, you know? Every NBA broadcast, right when Boston makes his jump, it's they're going to put up the graphic of all the Kentucky players who average more points a game in college than Brandon Boston. 
As as Brandon Boss is averaging like 22 points a game in the NBA. Yeah. It's unreal. I'm trying to think if there's any... Uh, Houston, Alabama. Oh, yeah. I actually watched this whole game. Deep I watched into the, the night. second half once I got home. It was like 12.30. 12.30 Eastern time when this game You're ended. You're tough. You're very tough, Brad. You're hanging in for, for the people. I... I thought J.D. Davison looked awesome. He really popped. He's got the big hair. You can always tell who he is in the court. He looked strong. He looked super athletic. He he was making great, great plays in transition. Shackelford was knocking down threes. Quinterly made a lot of really quick, nice, decisive moves to the rim. I've been on the Juwan Gary train ever since he took over for the injured Jordan Bruner in the starting lineup last year. Uh, he looks really good, and he looks better than, than Noah Gurley, which is a mild surprise there. Betty Yackel's playing better than I certainly expected after watching him playing for Canada. Alabama doesn't have a ton of depth, but uh, the, the offense is explosive. The, 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 the bigs are undersized, but tough and athletic, and it made for a nice, nice win at Houston, or win against Houston. Was it a goal ten, Brad? I honestly could not tell. I, I from fr- from the replay, I couldn't tell how far away the ball was from the rim. That was that was my uh, my question. This is where I would love, like, kind of like in football, where the referee will explain what happened. You know, like what what was the reasoning for that call? Right? Was it the ball was away from the rim? Was it that the ball was they thought the ball was too low. Was it that, you know, the ball was touched not on the way down? I mean, it was obviously touched on the way down. And I think it was pretty obviously above the rim. The question was, was it over the cylinder? And, uh, yeah, that was a crazy ending. I thought it was a fun battle because both teams kind of did what they do well for the most part. Right. I mean, Roberts was incredible on the offensive glass. If, if he could just hit a free throw, he'd be awesome. Uh, but he had like ten offensive rebounds. He was, I mean, he's he's a beast. When he wants to be, like, he's a guy that when you watch him, you're like, okay, this dude can like really, really, like, really impact the game. He's high energy. He's athletic. He's physical. He's tough. I just thought Sasser was fun. I thought I, I like Jamal Shedd. I'm a Jamal Shedd guy. What do you think of him? Yeah, he was. He was really good as well. And you know, the, the other crazy thing about Roberts is, you know, he's he's not built like a Josh Carlton or a Adama Sinogo or a Kofi Coburn. He he looks like he should be out there playing playing on the wing. He 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 looks like he could be like a two guard, but but he's in there mixing it up, just grabbing every rebound. Yeah, he's he's a fun little player. Uh, I really like him. Fabian White's stretching the floor. has been big time. On Alabama, do you have thoughts on Bediaco? Again, he was in foul trouble. But he's he's getting 15, 20 minutes a game out of him, which I think is more than I would have anticipated. Yeah, and it's 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 going well. Like he he's he's holding his own out there. Um, c- coming into U19, I expected him, him to be more of a Sonogo type, uh, but. He, he was a lot thinner than I expected, and he didn't really have that offensive game. But on on the defensive end, you know, he's he's 
he's playing the glue guy role well. These Al- Alabama guards aren't going to give him a lot of post opportunities. I'm not sure how much real post game he has, but um, as as a fit as like a like a dirty work big guy with these really cool guards. And you know, Keon Ellis didn't even have a good game, and uh, Keon Ellis might be their best or second best NBA prospect behind Davison. Um, so great great win for Bama. They they right now look like head and shoulders above everyone in the SEC. Uh, maybe if Flanagan is able to come back and be Alan Flanagan, maybe you throw Auburn in there as well. But with uh, Kentucky faltering, and LSU has, has has played a really opportunistic schedule. But I think the best team that they've played is Wake Forest. But they've played a bunch of solid teams. I, I'm, I'm eager to see LSU against a uh, kind of Tennessee-Florida-level team. Here's a pretty crazy one for you. Keon Ellis has scored four points in their last two games, which have been against Houston and Gonzaga, and Alabama's 2-0. A guy who might be a first-round pick. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, huge win. Hurts Houston more than I think it helps Alabama, if only because... You know, they still don't really have anything in their resume. Their resume is Virginia, Butler, and Oregon. That's There's no guaranteed NCAA tournament team that makes. And they don't have another one. You know, in, in the non-league, they have Oklahoma State next this coming weekend. Maybe. You know, maybe that one matters. Uh, maybe it doesn't. They've you know lost to Oakland, Wichita, and Xavier. So Oklahoma State's not great by any means. So, yeah, I mean, that's... That gets concerning, right? Does it kind of cap you out of the four seed come in silver tournament time, despite their great metrics? Speaking about head, head and shoulders above the league, though, if if Memphis doesn't get it turned around, Houston should be able to run through that league. I mean, Cincinnati just got the doors blown off by Xavier. They didn't even look competitive in that game. You know, at 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 any point, they're a bigs really could do anything offensively. Their their guards were overmatched. Uh, David DeJulius was able to hit a couple shots, but overall it was a really uninspiring effort from from Cincinnati. Wichita's been shaky. SMU's been shaky. We'll see, I guess, with Central Florida, but um, they're they're not going to come any very close to Houston. Houston could uh, really rack up some wins here. Um, what a disaster! Did uh, you watch Memphis Murray State at all? I did not. I don't remember what game I was watching, but I was watching something else. Was it Louisville DePaul? No. No. Oh. Then I have no idea what you were watching. Um, what um, other games were on that night? I think that was it. Maybe I just wasn't watching. How about DePaul as it ends? Oh, Loyola uh, Vanderbilt. I watched Loyola uh, Vanderbilt. Oh. I'm a homer. We, we, we can touch on that in a minute, but um, our, at, as a Northwestern Wildcat, are you worried about DePaul coming to town next Saturday? I mean, I don't know if either team is good. I don't. I think both probably are decent. But I don't know. I mean, look, I think that's a really that's a really big game in Evanston. I'll be there. It should be fun. You know, because both teams are trying to put something on their resume, right? I mean, the Louisville win probably matters for DePaul. That home win against Rutgers, I don't know if it will matter. You know, Northwestern is nothing in the non-league. They have the road win at Maryland, which 
you know, got a little bit of a boost by them beating Florida on an intro, but like, we don't really know what that's going to mean. Both those teams could really use that game. And if Northwestern doesn't get it, I sort of wonder like where they are, right? Going into conference play. Because well, the metrics like, you know, plenty of opportunities, no doubt. But you got to win those games. Speaking of lack of opportunities, Boston College just lost to Albany. Three twenties in Ken Palm. Albany Albany is not good. This it's is not historic. Really, it, it's complete. Albany is like complete. This is out of left field. I mean, Albany has not. There has been no like sign of improvement. There has been no. You know, they were at like players only meeting stage like two games ago. Now I have two strikes and eliminator. Mm. I thought it was safe to pick a team playing three twenty Albany. Too bad. Well, my other pick this week is Virginia against 328 Fairleigh Dickinson. Quite a disaster. That you should uh, Oh, just on, on Saturday as well. I mean, the fight in Ben Johnson's keep on rolling. Oh, my gosh. Can't stop Jameson Battle. He's I, been good. I guess he's needed a little you, stakes. You you have been a hater on Jameson Battle. He deserves some love. Absolutely. I mean, I guess he's needed some stakes. He needed the games to mean something, and he's he's balling out. I was not worried about Michigan. I'm starting to get a little worried about Michigan. There are role guys. Just I mean, I think you should be worried about Michigan. Yeah. Like like Brandon Johns had a great NCAA tournament last year. He's done nothing. They're barely playing. Terrence Williams. Devontae Jones did not look dynamic at all right now. I I I've seen Michigan fans. Complaining about the minutes allocation. They want more Terrence Williams. They want more Kobe Bufkin. Um, more Frank Collins. Yeah, they're just not not as solid as I thought they'd be. You know, in the preseason, I had them number four, I think. And it was, okay, Jones is going to be a top 100 player in the sport. Dickinson's going to be a top 10 player. Johns is going to be this really good senior, kind of two-way guy. He can shoot the ball. He'll average like eight and six and just be real solid. Eli Brooks will be... You know, one of the best glue guys in college basketball. And, you know, I was as down on, on Caleb Houston as anybody, but, but I thought like eight or nine points a game with a nice three-point percentage. Um, the, the pieces don't don't look like they fit as much as they looked on paper. The bench isn't giving them anything. I thought the bench would would be a strength. You know, outside of uh, Giabate, he's been solid. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of worried about Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I think – a lot of it's the lack of shooting, right? John's not a great shooter. Jones not a great shooter. Houston's not making shots. You know, Diabate, if you're playing him at the five, he's not a shooter. I guess he's – I don't know how you're defining four and five with Dickinson and Diabate on the floor together. But, you know, one of those guys is not a shooter, and one of them you're probably living with him shooting, right? Dickinson has taken 13 threes this year, but with the exception of a three for three against San Diego State, like, he doesn't really scare you out there. So – I don't know. Again, I mean, good for Minnesota, who just continues to find ways and has a really small March fair, but find you know just executes its game plan. You know, now at least has like a door to an NCAA tournament, right? Which would be bananas. I, I'm still a hater. I don't, I don't think that that they're gonna get there. Uh, but no, this was, but would undeniably them- a really impressive win and a really impressive start. To the Ben Johnson era. 
Would they? All right. If they go, if they win seven league games, Ben Johnson will be coach of the year. I don't. I don't like doing that. I like just in giving it to, in the Big Ten. I like giving it to to the guy who wins. Like if Purdue wins, just 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 give it to Matt Painter. That's why all these coach of the year kind of retrospectives look so goofy. Because it's based on like a preseason expectation. Like in the NBA, it's like they weren't expected to be good. They were okay. They they win coach of the year. Then people expect them to be good, and then the coach is fired in like a year. Um, and I think we've seen some weird things like that in college basketball as well. I mean, Keno Davis was the national coach of the year. You know, go goes to Providence and was was horrendous. I think Tom, I think people were talking about how Tom Tom Crean's won a bunch of coach of the years and man, what are you gonna do? It's all about expectations management. Speaking of expectations management. How about Colorado State? What a seamless transition. 10-0. and 0. They're, they're kind of doing the LSU thing, too, where it's like, we don't know if they've beaten anyone that's good, but they they beat people that are definitely solid. Like Mississippi State, Creighton. St. Um, Mary's. St. Mary's as well. And they have a huge test coming up next week against Alabama. Uh, yeah. But... Either way, they are they're tracking for a nice juicy seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean the good thing is, you know, ideally you beat Tulsa on a neutral. And if you do that, that Bama game almost becomes, you know, fun money, right? If you win that game, you start talking about top, you know, could you get a top six seed? Could you do all those things? If you don't win it, okay, whatever. You know, let's go into the league, let's make sure we get our at large, let's take care of our business. They're also on offense, they have no egos, Medved's incredible. I mean, I don't know what job to, like, pencil in Medved for. How about Arizona State? Weird fit. Weird fit. Well, I mean, he'll he'll go anywhere uh, uh, geographically because, I mean, he was from Furman to Drake to Colorado State. He was a Nebraska assistant before he got Furman. I think the whole country is open to Nico Medved. Well, At least the they should be. country should be. He's outstanding. They're, they shoot the shit out of it. I mean, they're an awesome team. Them and them, Loyola and San Francisco. Those are the those are the darlings. San Francisco has a as a minefield coming up at Arizona State. I where I think Arizona State's like in the two hundreds of the net or something, but but they're not going to stay there. there. Yeah, there's a there. good Arizona State has them tomorrow, and, and which is yeah. must win game there for Creighton if, if they have tournament hopes. San Francisco is really good. Did uh, you see any of any of Creighton BYU? I did not. I didn't either. Oh well. Nice win for Creighton. Bad loss for BYU. Really gonna be hang, hanging its hat on that Oregon law or Oregon win. And Oregon looks like shit now, so that's good. How about this one? San Francisco, December twenty eighth, big test coming up. Academy of the Arts. Academy of the Arts, baby. <laughs> Legend. It's a big test. You know how you, how, you know how they're gonna respond to that. Hey, they beat California Davis. They can beat San Francisco if they just get a little hotter. Yeah. I mean, those Division Two games, I can't tell whether they're good or not because on one hand, like you have the Providence 
Central Connecticut State, where Providence up 30 with 15 minutes left, and then they just did not care at all. And you know, this is this is the one game I really couldn't blame them for not caring because Central Connecticut was so bad. Uh, but then, you know, 15 one pass three pointers later, Central Connecticut State wins by or, or loses by 15, and suddenly we were falling 10 spots in the net. Um, whereas the Division two games like it never even happened. I don't know which is better. I don't know. I I think the D two game is fine, but you got to play the bad ones. You got to play. You got to you got to do a Georgia Southern women's basketball and beat Carver, one hundred and thirty three to fifteen. That was like when my AAU team in high school played BABC. That was like what, like what this score was. <laughs> Who is on BABC? Would anyone names anyone remember? Of course. I, I actually wasn't there because I was at the homecoming dance, which is one of my biggest regrets in life. What a, uh, but it was Marilyn's Noel, George well, Yang, Jake so Wayman, Wayne Selden, Andrew <laughs> yeah. Travitz, who we mentioned earlier. So how would you guys have... And have my team had like, were, you, were you a good player? Were you like useful enough to have contributed? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Were, were, were you a starter like a, on this AAU team of yours or no? No, I was I was the last guy on the bench. Um, we had like a couple <laughs> kids that played played like Division three college basketball and some kids who played Division one in other sports, but I was nowhere near either. How, and I how would have looked very. How tall were you? Six foot. There you go. Six foot, like 160 pounds. <laughs> Elite. Well, I think that's that's where we should leave the podcast. I don't I don't have anything else to uh, to address. Do you? Any other games that we're we're forgetting about? I don't think so. I mean, I guess the the benefit of doing like the field of sixty eight like every night versus our once a week is I I honestly could not remember what happened on 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 last Tuesday. I was like going through the scores. I was like, oh yeah, Texas Tech won. Oh yeah, James Madison beat Virginia. Yeah. Oh yeah, Syracuse looked like crap against Villanova, who missed a thousand threes and still controlled the game. And then Syracuse lost to Georgetown. They're toast. That was Georgetown without Ego FA too. They they were rolling with Malcolm Wilson, Ryan Matumbo, and Colin Holloway in the middle. I I, I guess Holloway has been actually pretty solid this year, but. I, lo- yeah, that I, love was, that, I love that Caden Rice just takes a gazillion shots. I mean, that was a perfect game, right? The three-point sniper going against that slow 2-3 Syracuse zone for those unathletic this, white dudes. How about this stat line for Mr. Caden Rice? He played 35 minutes against Syracuse. 15 points, 5 of 15 shooting, all from three. No free throws. One rebound in 35 minutes and one turnover. That's it. That's your stat line. That was after I mean, he had... Who could have thir- seen... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, uh, who who could have seen this Syracuse defense being so bad coming? I mean... No, nobody. You didn't think that the the, the athletic uh, frontcourt pairing of Jimmy Bayheim and Cole Swider wasn't going to get stops? Let's see, Syracuse... In Ken Palm defense is 167. 
which would be the worst of the Bayheim era, by the way. That's insane. That's what happens when you start two players that are Jim Bayheim's children, you know. Just uh, <laughs> doesn't work out. I mean, they'll be better once Buddy Bayheim starts making shots, but theoretically, Joe, Joe Girard's going to start missing shots soon. So, you know. And there's, like, really no one to get Buddy Bayheim the shots. Yes. And Swider. I mean, there there, there wasn't being, really last being, year. We're being proven right on the Swider thing. Yeah, the Swider's no good. Well, well, like, I, I guess last year they did have Richmond, even though they weren't using him enough. And they had Griffin, uh, Alan Griffin and Quincy Garrier, who aren't, weren't really, really creators. Griffin but was But at good. least they're out there, you know, attracting the, the attention of the defense with their creation ability. Yeah. They're, they've got some issues. They have a weird resume where the neutral part went over Indiana and the road went to Florida State, where both of those might matter. And the neutral Arizona State might line up Q2. Might. You would think it has a decent chance to, but the net right now is not in their favor. So, yeah, what Houston really needs to do is they really need to win their next two bye games, get into the ACC play, and hope they can, like, really run up a number. But I don't think they can. that's going to happen. But, again, I mean – is there any team in the ACC where you'd be like stunned if they started like 11 and three in the conference because of how bad the league is? Just, just Pitt. And BC. I, I mean, BC's already one and zero. Yeah. The first time. Another day. Another day. But anyway, I think that's the that's the show for us this week. We appreciate you all listening. Um, hope everyone is having a good kind of holiday season as we head to head towards Christmas. We'll have content for you. Don't worry about that. I am going to uh, head home this coming weekend. So I'll be good. I'll be at the back to the Northeast for the first time in a few months. And uh, I think I'll watch some basketball while I'm there. So it should be good. All right, folks. See you next week.